0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dogwood. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you today. How many of you guys are ready for spring and summer? Anybody? I am. After all of these weeks of cold, I don't know, for the guys up north or from Canada or something like that, you're going, you're a big wuss because it's not cold compared to up there, but for somebody who grew up in Georgia, eight degrees is nuts. You know, it just shouldn't be that cold. And so, um, but one of the reasons why I'm excited about spring and summer coming is because my family and I love to spend a day at the lake. Anybody like to spend a day at the lake? Love being out in the sun, love swimming, love all that goes along with that, loves water skiing. I mean, we just, we enjoy it. One of our favorite lakes to go to is Lake Martin. Anybody ever been to Lake Martin? See a few hands? You know one of the reasons why that's one of our favorite lakes? Because it's big, the water's clean, but most importantly, there's cliff jumping, right? We love going there and jumping off of those cliffs. And I know some of you guys are going, that's crazy, but it's fun. And so... Um, The first time we took our kids there, my youngest son, Luke, was probably about five years old. And again, I know some of you moms are going, you took a kid that was five years old and you let him jump off a cliff? Well, rest assured, there's different levels of jumping there, right? There's like a five-foot cliff. That's all they did when they were five. Um, And then there's the 90-foot one. We don't touch that one. We don't talk about that one. All right? We We pretend that one doesn't exist. So the first time we went with the kids... Um, I had told the boys, I said, look, you know, this first little five-foot cliff, it's a little rounded. All the other ones are straight down. This one's rounded. So you don't have to get a running start, but you have to at least take a step and go. You can't hesitate because if you stand there, you'll slip because the rock gets a little slippery. And so we went through that, coached them through it, went up there, held their hand the first time they went off, and it was great. Hours later, they're still climbing out of the water, going up and jumping off the five-foot cliff. And we're having a great time. Dad gets tired of doing that after a little while, right? So I go, kids... You do that. I'm going to go lay out here in the water and just kind of watch you. I'll make sure you're safe from the water, right? And so they get up there, and they're doing it fine. It's absolutely great. Well, I'm watching Luke, my youngest son. Again, remember, he's five. And for whatever reason, he'd done it right the whole time. For whatever reason, he decides to go up, and he starts inching his way to the little rounded five-foot cliff. And he's just kind of inching his way there. And remember, I told you, it's kind of curved, and so you get too close, and you'll slip. Just as I'm about to yell out to him and say, Hey, Luke, you better jump he starts to slip. His feet come out from under him. And in my head, I'm not worried so much about him getting like, like hurt, like super bad, but I'm worried about blood, right? And I don't do well with blood. And I didn't want him to get hurt, but I didn't want to see the bloody knees and elbows and all of that kind of stuff. And so as he's starting to go down, that's what I'm picturing in my head, right? It's all slow motion. And then I see, I see him take his right leg and kind of put it up under, un, up under him like this, so that his foot catches his fall, and as soon as it does, he pushes off and jumps out into the water. And I was like, "Wow, well, that is impressive. Where did a five-year-old learn to do something like that? And so we were done, right, at that, that point. We said, no more cliff jumping today. We'll come back next year, and it'll be good. Well, when I got him back in the boat, I said, Luke, where did you learn to do something like that? And he kind of looked at me like, well, duh. You and I watch Man vs. Wild and Bear Grylls. And time Bear Grill slides down or falls off, he pushes off, and I went, "Oh, there you go. the three we learned at least three lessons that day, whether my boys knew it or not, they learned this thing. They learned that there was a, a law of gravity, all right Luke, at that point in his life, uh, he may have heard the word gravity, but he didn't know that there was a law out there of gravity that if you jump off something you 're going to fall, you jump up, you come back down, right? He learned a little bit about some of the physics and the principles of friction that you have water on something that's a little slippery, and you get on there, and, and, and you'll slip and fall. He learned a little bit about that. And again, he didn't have those words for it, but he learned about that. And I learned that even though Bear Grylls, in some ways, and some reports, is a little bit fake, you can learn something from him. So watch it every once in a while. It's okay. It's fun. Um, today, we are wrapping up a series in Galatians that we have called Working for the Good of All. And in week one, Pastor Keith spoke to us about Working for the good of God, and really what he did is he laid out a great vision for us as a church over this next year. And if you weren't here that Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, please go online and download that sermon and listen to it. It is, it is, it is awesome. In week two, Keith spoke about um, working for your own good. Last week, he talked about working for the good of sinful and suffering people. And he talked about how that we are to graciously restore people and how we are to come up under and carry one another's burdens. And that in carrying people's burdens, it actually costs us something, or it should. Otherwise, we're really not carrying the burdens, right? Today, we're going to look at working for the good of all and really looking at some laws and principles that you may not know The word for, like Luke didn't know there was the law of gravity out there. But there's laws and and principles that God has put in place for us to live by. And that we can actually damage ourselves and damage other people when we try to live outside of those laws and principles. So, our passage today is found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. If you've got a, a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to come back to this passage often. But let me read for you so that you get a a picture of overall what's going on. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, here's how we're going to dissect this passage today. I'm going to dissect it by really giving you some questions to write down for you to do business with God on your own, maybe during the service as we're talking about it, maybe this afternoon, but but there are questions for you to ask yourself and for you to ask God of you. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that in him we can be forgiven of our sin and reconnected to you. As we pray here often at Dogwood, help us to not just be hearers of the word today. God, help us to not just be consumers of this worship service, but instead, God, help us to be doers of your word. And that we do that in and through your spirit and in and through your power, because we acknowledge and we admit and we confess to you that on our own God, we cannot live the Christian life. We have to do it in you. And God, we thank you that you make it possible for us to live that way. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Here's the first question I want you to write down. The first question is this: Is Are you or am I? Mocking God with my life. Am I mocking God with my life? Verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. I like the way that Eugene Peterson's translation called the message. I like the way he says it. He says it this way. He says, Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. So he starts out by saying, Don't be Deceived, don't be misled. In other words, we have, to, we have to start here at least acknowledging that it's possible for us to see things incorrectly, to be misled, to be deceived about things. Now none of us like to admit that we can be deceived. Anybody like, likes that? because we like to think we know it all, right? But listen, proof is, watch infomercials on TV. Now, I'm not saying you bought any of that stuff. I'm not even saying I bought any of that stuff, but some people in the world buy that stuff, right? They buy it and it gets to their house and it works nothing like that they think that it's supposed to. We get misled on that kind of stuff all of the time. We don't like to admit it, but we have to start at least acknowledging that it's possible for us to be misled. Now, it talks about that God cannot be mocked. You know, that that seems maybe a little bit harsh to you. It may seem like that, that God is up in heaven with a chip on his shoulder, and he's sitting there waiting for you to mess up so that he can come down out of heaven and strike you down. All right, That's not really the picture that we should get here. We always have to make sure that we're interpreting passages of Scripture in light of other passages of Scripture, in light of what we already know about who God is from other passages. All throughout Galatians, as we have been in this study really for a a while as we've been in and out of Galatians, Paul has taught us that salvation is what? It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus our good works. It's not Jesus plus our good deeds, right? It's not salvation. That's not what we do to make God love us. You see, when we have this view that God is up there waiting to punish us, We also have the view, whether or not we want to admit it or not, but we also have this view that God is up there waiting for us to do good just so he can bless you. That's not the way salvation works. We don't perform to make God love us. The Bible clearly teaches us that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and died for us. While we were still spitting in God's face, Jesus steps out of heaven and dies on the cross sheds his blood, and is raised from death. Why? So that you and I could be reconnected, so that we could have our sins forgiven. Now, I also want to acknowledge that most of us don't openly mock God. Because the other picture that I have in my head is I think of Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Anybody ever seen that movie? You've not seen it? At least watch that part of Lieutenant Dan. He's on a ship, and he's like, there's the storm going on, and he's shaking his fists at God. He's going, going, God, come on, get me if, if, if you're really up there. Most of us don't do that. Let me just go ahead and tell you if, you, if you have mocked God that way, God's big enough to handle it, and he'll also forgive you of that. But most of us don't mock God in that way. Most of us, most of us mock God in this way. We mock God by ignoring him. We mock God by ignoring him. We, in other words, we even as believers, we tend to sometimes live our lives was with us at the center of the universe instead of God. When we live the way that we want to and with us at the center, in essence what we're saying, without maybe saying these words, we're saying we're the ones that are the most important. We are really God. And listen, that's a dangerous place to be. God is the one who knows best how to live. When we mock God, when we live a life that pretends God doesn't exist, it begins to corrode us from the inside out. It, it's like a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay and I were, were looking at a house that we are, are working on purchasing. And so we, we were doing the inspection thing with the guy that comes out there and does the inspection. Um, and so there's, there's wood trim around the garage. And it looked a little funny. I mean, the house is, is 18 years old, so the, the wood trim looked a little funny. And we went, hmm, wonder what's wrong with it. So the inspector goes up and he sticks his finger just like right through the wood. All right, not a super big deal. It can be fixed. But that wood had gotten really rotten because water was getting into it, and it was affecting the structure of the wood. It was becoming something that it was not originally intended to be. And when we live a life that ignores God, it's like we're that piece of wood that is being exposed to water. And it's rotting us from the inside out. And sometimes, maybe even on the outside, you can't tell it. But on the inside, you know it. When we live a life without God, we become like that rotten wood. So again, are you living a life where you're ignoring God by mocking Him? Are you living a life where you're at the center of your universe instead of God? That leads us to the next question that I want to ask you and ask me. Is what am I sowing and reaping? Pick it up again in verse 7. It says, A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Again, it's important that we understand what Paul is writing here. It, it might be easy for us to pick this verse out and say, see, look, if we do the right things, it gives us eternal life. But I have to remind you that all throughout Galatians, Paul has made it abundantly clear that salvation is Jesus plus nothing. So there's no way in the world a very intelligent person like Paul, there's no way you would even, or, or I would even, and I'm nowhere near as intelligent as Paul was, that I would spend my time writing this big letter and making this big argument that, that salvation is Jesus plus nothing, and then at the very end go, and oh, by the way, Make sure you do good work so that you can earn eternal life. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, right? So then what is he saying? What, well, let's, let's figure that out by looking at some examples here. I'm not a farmer. And most of us in this room probably aren't. Some of you in the room may have grown up being a farmer. Some of you in the room like to plant flowers. Some of you like to plant little small vegetable gardens. I'm not one of those, all right? I like to go to the store and buy my food, okay? But my wife, she likes to plant. She, does, she, she started a garden a couple years ago in, in our backyard, a little small vegetable garden. It wasn't anything huge, but it was a project that she enjoyed. I didn't, so I didn't go out there and help her too much with it, all right? I got the ground ready for her, and then she just went to town and, and did all of it. But when it came to harvest time, she said, hey, would you come out and help me pick some of the stuff? And I went, okay, I hate vegetables. I'm 39 years old, and I'm still learning to eat my vegetables, but I'll go out there and I'll help you. And so we start picking the stuff that's out there. And I'm going, where are the green beans? Where are the peas? Where are the carrots? Where's the stuff that I, that I do sort of like to eat? And instead, it's the tomatoes and the squash. And so I looked at her and I go, where's the good stuff? And she go, you know, her answer was really profound. She goes, I didn't plant any of that. And I went, oh, you didn't plant any of that stuff. So it didn't come up. No matter how much I wanted, no matter how much I wanted the other stuff, it wasn't planted. It wasn't there. So Paul is telling us at least two things. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You plant corn, you get corn. You plant nothing, you get nothing. You plant from the sinful life. In other words, you abuse your body by sowing sin. Eventually, it will train wreck your body. You will reap that. He's also telling us that whatever you sow, it will come up. Now, it may take time, it may be gradual, but one day it's going to come up. It's kind of like changing the oil in your car, right? We're supposed to change the oil in our car depending on what kind of car you have, between 3,000 and 5,000 miles, right? Somewhere around there. Does your car blow up at 5,001 miles? No, but over time, if you never change your oil, what's going to happen? That oil will break down, causing your engine to break down, causing you to have to do a lot of repair work on your car. Yes? Over time... It will come up. The things that we plant will come up. We sow to sin over time that will begin to train wreck havoc in our lives. In other words, listen, simple example and an obvious one. You abuse your body with illegal drugs. It may not, it might, but it may not kill you immediately. But if you do that over a lifetime, your body becomes wrecked, right? In the physical world, none of us dispute that. We all get it. We plant corn, we get corn. We abuse our bodies, our bodies break down. But in the spiritual and moral world, our Western culture kind of gets this a little bit fuzzy. Because our culture teaches us, and a lot of the people around us, this is what they believe. They believe something like this. They say, everything is okay as long as I think it's okay and good. If it's okay to me, I'm okay to do that. And you can decide whatever's right for you, and that'll be cool for you, but it's not cool for me, right? Right? And in this passage, Paul is screaming us, and he is saying to us, don't fall into this trap. There is an objective moral order, just like there is in the physical world. We will sow what we reap. Let me go to extreme to make it a point. Many, while many in our culture think that truth and, and morality is objective... I'm willing to bet that nobody in this room would think that murder is okay. And most people in America don't think murder is okay. But but if you really believe that whatever's, you get to decide for you what's right, what if the murderer, what if in, in, inside of him he thinks, I'm absolutely fine doing this. I have every right. There's no problem in doing that. Again, I know that's taking things to the extreme just a little bit, but none of us would say, yeah, okay, he can do that. We'd all say, no, absolutely not. That's wrong. There is... A standard of truth of what is right and wrong out there. Now we have to make sure, followers of Christ, that we make sure that we're looking to the right place for morality and standards. We have to make sure that we're not looking inside of ourselves. It's very dangerous if we are the ones that are deciding, right? We have to look to somewhere else. Matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The heart is deceitful. You see, if you and I get to decide what's right and wrong, the thing we have to remember is is that our hearts, we can't trust our hearts all the time. I cannot trust my heart all the time. It's deceitful. I can be deceived. I can be led astray. So where do we go? Where do we find this objective truth then? Well, I'm here to tell you, you find it in the Bible. You find it in what God teaches us, which means you have to read and study Scripture so you know what it says. And you know what God is teaching us. We have to understand that when God gives us commands and principles to live by, he's doing it for our own good. He's the one that really knows. He's our creator. He knows best how to live. My kids enjoy putting together Legos. And so they'll put together their Lego sets sometimes. And every once in a while, those Lego sets will break. And then they get frustrated. and They bring it to me and they say, Dad, will you fix this? And I look at them and I go, no, I can't fix it. I didn't put it together. I don't understand how these things go together without pulling the instructions back out. You actually are the better one. You, the one that created it, you're the better one to fix it. You see, we go to the Bible and have to understand that that God loves us and he gives us guidance. He's the one that created us. He knows best for us how to live. And his guidance and his principles are there for us so that we don't train wreck our lives. Why is there a fence at the top of Stone Mountain? It's to keep people like me from walking to the very edge to look over and falling off. People who put the fence there, they're not going, hey, look, I want to ruin your day are saying, I want to keep you alive. I want to keep you from hurting yourself, right? One more aspect to this sowing and reaping. Many of us think, many of us think that if we live a good enough life and do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, in other words, more good things, less bad things, that we'll be okay with God. And let me tell you, that is the furthest thing from the truth. You can never do enough good to outweigh the bad. Because the Bible teaches us that even our best works, even our best deeds, they're like filthy rags to God. We can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. And if that was the end of the story, we would all be sunk. But the good news is this, is that through Christ Jesus, we can be made new. We can have salvation in Christ Jesus, not by our own works so that we don't boast about it, but because of who He is and the price that He paid for us on the cross. This brings us to the last couple of questions. What is it that we sow? And how do we do this without giving up? What do we sow? And how do we do this without giving up? Verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So what do we sow? We sow, part of what we do, is we sow good works. Not because it earns God's favor and love for us, but because it reflects God's heart. It's who God is. We do good. We help people. We help alleviate suffering here and around the world. We give food. We give resources. We give money. We give our time. We make sure that we're living a life where we are sharing Christ with people we come in contact with. Listen, I don't think that's really most of our problems. We can, we can figure out the good that we're supposed to do. We recognize there's problems out there and we're supposed to do something about it. I think most of us probably have more of a problem with the growing weary part. Paul says, don't go, grow weary in doing good. Sometimes the harvest doesn't come in when and how we want it to. Most of us, including me, we don't like to wait on things. We want what we want and we want it now. I mean, we live in a day and time where we can be around the world in just a few hours. You know, my grandfather's world was just a little bit different. He was, he was a much more patient man than I am. And I think in some ways it's because he was a farmer. He, he knew what it was like to plant the seeds in springtime. He knew what it was like to tend those fields. He knew what it was like to make sure that the, that the weeds weren't there and to, to make sure they had water and that at the proper time, the seeds that were planted would come up and he would reap a harvest. And I get frustrated that I have to microwave a piece of pizza two minutes instead of one. But if we translate that into the spiritual world, There are people that you and I have been praying for that still haven't given their lives to Christ and we're frustrated. We're going, God, we've been praying for this person for years and years and years and yet they're still not there yet. God says, don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. At the proper time, there will be a harvest. You know, there's there's sins that you and I have been struggling with and we have been praying, God, God, please take this sin away from me. Help me to overcome this sin, and yet we fall into it time and time again. And we're struggling, we want to give up, and we're going, gosh, come on. Why do I keep banging my head against the same rock? You may have been praying for God to heal or to intervene in something, and you're still waiting. And your faith maybe is starting to wane a little bit because you haven't seen God answer the way at least that you want Him to answer. And Paul says, Don't give up. Don't ever get up. Don't, don't grow weary in doing good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, helps. Verse 1 gives us a little perspective. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. He's talking about a race, it is a race of endurance, it is not a sprint. This Christian life is, it's, it's, it is a long-term thing. It's more like running a marathon than it is running a 5K. We were meant to do this with other people. And another shameless plug for GroupLink tonight, if you're not connected in a group of people that are going through life together, studying God's Word, come tonight at 5 o'clock so that you can get connected. A couple of years ago, I decided that I wanted to run a 15K. And again, for those of you guys from the north that think this isn't cold, some of you guys that are marathon runners, you're going 15K, no, no big deal. I hate running. I always have. When I was a kid and had to run around the booth track, there was the field house, and as we were going around as a big herd, I would stop behind the field house, and the whole herd would keep going until it came back around, and when they came back around, I'd jump back in and I'd keep going. All right? Kids, if you get caught doing that, I didn't tell you to do it, just so you know. But I hated running. I, for whatever reason, decided I wanted to run a 15K. And so I decided to do it with a friend. And so we started training together. And so when my alarm would go off at 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning to get me up, I wanted to lay there in bed and go, I hate running. I don't want to go out there and do that. But I knew that my friend would be waiting on me because we had made a commitment that we were going to train together. And so I'd get out of bed and I'd go train. Race day comes along. We're, everything's going great, we're going at our slow pace, but we're going, I hit mile six, and my knee lock's up. And so I'm basically having to run-walk the rest of it. Like 90-year-old people are passing me. I passed them at the end, but they're passing me for a little bit. My knee lock's up. My friend could have run on, but he stayed with me to help encourage as we were going. Why? Because for us, it was a marathon, and we were in it together. Listen, this Christian life was not meant to be done alone. It wasn't meant to be done alone. You've got to be with other people. And when your, when your spiritual knee locks up, guess what? That spiritual family will be there with you to go along with you and to encourage you. We've looked at some, some questions. Am I mocking God by ignoring Him? What am I sowing and reaping and how do I do this without giving up? Well, to help bring maybe a little more clarity and to give some next practical steps, I've asked Kathy Bergeron, the director of the Real Life, Real Life Center, to come up and, and let me interview her for a little bit. So um, as Kathy comes up, would y'all please give her a warm welcome? I'm going to ask you to sit over there again. Yeah. Thank yes, thanks. Kathy, thanks for taking a little time yeah, this morning. Um Coming and sharing. So... Um, because there may be some people here that that aren't fully aware of what the Real Life Center is and all of that, kind of just give us the, what's the Real Life Center all about? What's the mission and what do y'all do?
1: Sure. Um, I'm always game to talk about the Real Life Center. Um, It's kind of became my life over the years. Um, The Real Life Center actually started at our old campus back in 1998 and it started in the back of a trailer and it started with bags of bread lined up in the hallway and big bags of of clothing, And that's kind of how I jumped in. But, you know, we still have the bread program and we still have the clothing and we have a food pantry and we do financial assistance. And, um, you know, the, the mission statement is to meet needs, share Christ, change hearts and change lives. So we still have those basic uh, programs to meet basic needs. But then we also work to really help to create change and to make long term change. And You know, it's really cool to see how God has just continued to work in the center and to use people and really just to use us to do that. And last year, we served over, we had over 4,000 visits through our main center. We now have a a beautiful facility south of Peachtree City off of Parquet Court. We have two great thrift stores. We have an awesome orchard right outside our back door. Um, and we have a mobile food pantry that serves 200 families from surrounding counties um, every month. And um, it's just a testimony of God's faithfulness.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: what we get to do.
0: Yep. And it has been fun to see all of that develop and to see mm-hmm. definitely lives yeah, change for sure. Yeah. That has been good. So um, one of the things that we talked about in the service just a little bit ago was we talked that sometimes we have to sow for a long period of time before we actually see results. Yeah. Um, how, how have y'all had to deal with that?
1: Well, it's definitely been a journey, and I, I loved hearing your story about you running because there's been many times along that journey that I've wanted to quit. Um, and if it wouldn't have been for people in my life that's, you know, prayed with me and stuck with me, I think there's probably been a few times that, that I might have stepped away. And yet yet God is faithful and staying connected is huge. Um, you know, I, I think of um, just sowing and reaping, and I think of just the orchard itself. And for many of you, we see this great little orchard right outside our back door. But what what many of you probably don't see is just the time that it's taken to plan and to make that happen. And, you know, Jeff Myers and his team will be the first to tell you that even before any of that started, it it took um, several years beforehand where we as a team sat and talked through and, you know, and prayed over and said, does this really... Does this really follow through with the mission of what we're trying to do? And and then once we went through that process, you know, Jeff spent a lot of time traveling and educating himself. And lots of different people joined in to prepare the soil and to drill a well and to uh, create a master plan and to figure out how much fruit we could um, really use to meet the projected needs of families that we serve from Fayette and Coeta County. Just lots and lots of planning. And even now, our first year of harvest last year, we, we did like 3,500 pounds, but it'll still be years before we really see the full amount that we'll get. And, you know, that's, that's what it's about. And it takes time. And, you know, I think about even when we started the Real Life Center and we, you know, we started back in 1998, it took us five years to get to our own facility. And then even when we got there, it was our first place in Tyrone. That was in 2003. We got there. We were open one day a week, and we needed stuff. We needed people to help us. We needed food to distribute. We needed to let people know we were there and that we were a safe place to meet needs, and, you know, nobody knew about us, and so it took us a long time, really 10 years, to to show people that we were safe to come to no matter what walk of life you were from, and to let schools and churches and businesses and individuals know, hey, we need your help and we're trustworthy, and would you consider partnering with us? And so I love to look back today, 10 years later, and, and see just how people have done that. But it's, it's been time, and it's taken an investment to do that. And, you know, even in people's lives, just to know that change doesn't happen overnight. You don't pay someone's bill and give them food and think that change is going to happen. It takes investing in them, and it takes helping them set goals and being accountable, creating an accountability system and encouragement and really letting them know that they're not walking that journey alone. Mm. And I was telling you the story, um, you know, we helped a lady about four or five years ago, and she touches base with us every year, and she was almost homeless and almost lost her car, single mom with a little girl, and she called at Christmas this last year. And not only is she stable and has a good job and has her has her um, uh, you know her car and all of that, but she is going on a mission trip this summer, and she was so excited. But it's just it's such fun to see that change when it really happens. But it takes time.
0: It so. does take time. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know you and I've talked. Uh, there's all kinds of needs out there, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it feels like the 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 list of needs is endless. We could work twenty four seven. Yep. So. Doing good, meeting needs—it certainly is physically, it's intellectually, it's spiritually exhausting. How have how have you and your team that are that I like to say you're kind of on the front lines mm-hmm. of, of doing some of that? How have y'all managed that tension of of doing good, but yet not just growing weary?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, life is messy; it just is. I think I think any one of us, whether we're working at the Real Life Center or not, we all know people or we struggle with things in our own lives, and it can be. Just emotionally and spiritually exhausting, and mentally as well. And so, I think, I think what we experience at the Real Life Center is very tiring, and physically is very tiring. We distributed um, over four hundred thousand pounds of food last year, and just just the food alone, along with the clothing and the stuff, can be physically exhausting. Um, you know, it's it's tiring, and sometimes people can be ugly, and sometimes you're exhausted, and, and, you know, food can, you know, be stacked up up to here, and you think, okay, I can't do this, and yet when you have that opportunity to see someone who walks in, and they're so discouraged, and then they leave, and they have a renewed hope, and so they leave with a smile on their face, or maybe they've gotten to um, hear the gospel, really, for the first time, or maybe for the first time it made sense in their life. And so when they leave this time, they're, they totally changed. And so, you know, they, their life has been changed eternally and forever. And so those are the things that encourage us. But, you know, on a practical level, I think sometimes when you're, when you're so busy doing good and serving God that there's a danger in wanting to substitute serving for your time alone with God because you think, I've been talking about you, God, all day. Surely I, don't, I just don't have time. And I think that is a danger for, for all of us. So, you know, if I could encourage any of you, and, you know, I'm always encouraging my team too, you've got to take that time alone with God. Nothing substitutes that one-on-one time with God, and that's what renews us, and that's what keeps us grounded and where we need to be. And at the center, you know, we work really hard to just fellowship together and to have fun and to make sure we're praying together. Um, the other thing we do is we limit our hours that we're open to the public because, there's a lot of stuff that goes, goes on behind the scenes, and um, it takes a lot of time. So, you know, we, we limit that time, and I think that's important just to keep us sustained. Yeah. So, But, you know, I, I think for all of us, we have to be very intentional in how we live and how we choose to keep a balance in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. So if uh, if people out here today, they were hearing about doing good, and they're going, all right, I want to get involved with the Real Life mm-hmm. Center, what are some opportunities that they have, and then what do they do to, to be able to get connected?
1: Ah. Great. Glad you asked that. We, we love help. Um, you know, last year we had over 18,000 hours of volunteer time given, which I think is awesome. You know, we exist because people are willing to help. Um, you know, the Orchard Project is a great example. I know that we're always looking for people that are willing to um, adopt a row. If you're willing to help harvest, that's something your kids can do, you can do as a family, at the center, we have just a variety of ways you can get involved, whether it's, you know, if you're just willing to come and sort, or if you're help, w- willing to help with a food drive, or if you're willing to work with families one-on-one. Um, there's just a lot of different things that you can do. We offer classes that you can help with. Um, our, we have our two thrift stores. Um, particularly right now, our Fayetteville store is, is our newest, and it's a larger size, but we need both men and women to help out, but... Um, even just praying for us, but in your communication card, you can leave us a note, and we'll contact you if you want to sign up on our website. Easy way to sign up and, and l- give us your information. Um, I'll be out in the hallway for a little bit if you want to just if you have any questions to ask us. But um, you can also just call the church office. You know, there's it's easy to get in touch with us. But we would love to have you, and most importantly, you can serve as little or as much as you want. So, yeah.
0: awesome. Well, Kathy, thanks so much. Would y'all thanks. please um, say thanks to Kathy thank you. for sharing?
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Appreciate it. Well, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to close in a time of prayer. You know, your next step today, if you're a follower of Christ already, might be to start serving with the Real Life Center. But, but for some of you in this room, your next step today might be to give your life to Christ for the first time to enter into a relationship with him. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And um, if this is kind of the attitude of your heart right now, then, then pray something like this. And don't worry if you don't get the words just right. It's not a magic formula. God's concerned about what's going on on the inside of you. And so today, if you were to say, hey, look, I want to become a follower of Jesus, tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver. God, by making you my leader, I am giving you control of my life to the best that I can. I'm giving I'm giving you all that I am. Lord, you're now the boss of my life. And, and by me saying, God, be my forgiver, I'm acknowledging, God, that I have chosen to go my own way I've made myself my own God and that's that's wrong and I'm turning from that. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. Listen, the Bible says if if you prayed a prayer similar to that, that you are a new creation. You have been made new. And so, Father God, we thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.